Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack Early Show. My name's Sam Mose. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. Hello. And today we are doing a gear episode, gear 2020. We realized today we haven't done a official gear episode since February of last year, I think. And so we thought we owed it to our fans and audience for us to chop it up about gear, plugins, how we use it, what we're using, what we're not using, and what oversampling does on that plugin you love so much. So, Matt, mm. do you want to? I know what it does. Makes my <laughs> computer have gas. <laughs> Overheats my Mac. Oh gosh, that's what it does. You can educate people on your when you have too many USB things plugged into your Mac Mini. Oh my gosh, my Bluetooth doesn't work. I'm I'm yes. hardwired now. I don't know if you know that. I am wired keyboard wired. Well, you mouse. just well. Do you have a mouse now? Well, no, I have trackpad. Sorry, but it's wired. Okay, because you just like got a new trackpad. You had like the old one. Yeah, that wasn't the little... issue. I learned, so I spent money on a new keyboard and a new trackpad thinking that was the issue but it's just mac has a bluetooth connectivity i bought the extra thing for those who are listening the little extra bluetooth extender i bought a usb hookup hub none of the solutions worked so i just went wired and i am totally happy with that no issues i love the performance of the computer but for some reason they can't figure out the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi when you plug things in. <laughs> it sounds so stupid to say it out loud. But that is the price you pay for being a Mac lover. I love being a Mac lover. I do too. I'm not going to switch. I love the way Macs work. Overall, I've been a Mac user for... Uh, ten, uh, man, when I was like 18, so like 14 years. And, yeah, uh, I got a Mac in my first Mac in 2012. Yeah, and I literally just got another laptop to replace that one. Yeah, well, and they you just know. last forever. And it would not have died if I wouldn't have done something stupid. <laughs> I was in the middle of a show, like like we were, like oh, two hours from from rolling, and we needed to multi-track the thing, and the. <clears throat> The cable that goes to that big old transformer that's in the middle of the charging cable, mm-hmm. it like had some type of a short in it, and then the actual rubber part broke, and it was sparking. Yeah, between the transformer output, my and well, what's the yeah yeah the transformer output like the thin end? It was sparking, and I was like, holy crap! And then yeah, I was like, I do not want my computer to zap to like deflip. <laughs> what is it? Defibulate itself. And uh, so I went to Best Buy, and I was like, hey, I need a charger, and I got a charger. And then I didn't realize until two years later that I had accidentally purchased an 85-watt charger when I needed a 65-watt charger. <laughs> and all that time, my battery was just slowly expanding. Oh my and then my, yeah, then like the life of my laptop just like slowly just started slipping oh. away from its greasy Mac palms. That's sad. But yeah, yeah. I mean, your computer is gear, essentially. Man, it would like that thing would still be a champ if it weren't for me. Yeah, and it was like the OG. Well, it's like I, it's like the first laptop that Mac came out with that people were like, "Yes, I will, I will be buried with this. This thing is a <laughs> tank." 
And that's what I did. I just kept on formatting it, like whenever it would just get bogged down with anything. Yeah. And I would just back everything up onto like a glyph or something. And I mean, I could probably still replace the battery and it would just be, it'd be perfect. It's an option. It's an option. Yeah. Well, needless to say, I don't think I need to do an intro because we've already done half an episode on computers right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, let's roll. Let's keep talking about gear. Let's roll. Obviously, I've actually been curious if I could make like a handful of Mac minis into a little server. Mm. I don't know why. Like, I kind of like, I kind of want to go down that route. I mean, that is way beyond my. My pay grade. I don't even get paid. The thing is, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that difficult. It's just like what you're. It's it's like learning mastering. It's just like you're just willing to learn like a like a little different of a syntax, and how you communicate about certain things, and then just technical parameters which you and I look at, however frequently, and then you ask how many people we probably know who have like servers and their website hosted on like something and then you can hey upload your file into here and so I don't have to use Dropbox which I mm-hmm. learned recently you despise. <laughs> uh, I loathe Dropbox. Loathe. I just do you per did you purchase WeTransfer? Well, I have the pro yearly subscription. Okay, yeah, I just did that. So yes, I purchased it. Yeah. I love I it. I just did that. It's so stable. That's why I like you- it. You talk right now on why you don't like Dropbox, and then I'm going to say something <laughs> on why I don't like it. And I really hope it gets resolved because this would be like the one thing that would keep me on Dropbox. Well, there's multiple things about... I mean, I've used Dropbox on and off for at least 10 years. And I mean, one of the main reasons I don't like it is because now they stream in the worst quality possible MP3 artifact. So mm-hmm. for audio review and transferring... It always makes me nervous sending files back then. I mean, I haven't used, I only use Dropbox for client actually once it in that. But I mean, that's a headache in itself because somebody will be like, oh, it's clipping or distorting. There's artifacts. Like, you're correct. It's Dropbox. So that's when they have to download it. And then at that point, it's like, why are we using Dropbox? So I don't like that. I don't like that the shared folders goes into your total data amount. So, obviously, you I can... You and me with this podcast. Right. So, Matt and, I, Matt and I's podcast is quite large, but so is every other session I get. So, yes, I know I could buy the pro account, whatever, get three terabytes or something, but it's it's not worth it for me just to have that storage on there because eventually I run out and then I have to buy more and more space. And really... I am a overall a physical backup person and I find hard drive space to be so much cheaper long term and I like having it on demand I have it in like a safety box basically in my crawl space I have every year backed up twice some of them are 3 years backed up or 3 times backed up and I just like knowing they're there. They all function. You know, in theory, over time, they could go bad, but probably not. I literally every year buy a hard drive for like $40 to back up the current year. I put it back, literally back in its, in its packaging and put it back in the box it came in. It's out for like 12 minutes. 
and then I put that away. <laughs> and each year is just written on, and then I have like four giant big boys called the Vault, the Vault Two, Ice House, Ice House Two, and those are like ten terabytes at a time. So anyway, that's a different discussion. Part of gear, though. Your hard drives. Your hard drives are a lot more professionally labeled than mine are. <laughs> My first one was called your mama. The second one was called your daddy, and then the one I'm on now is called your greasy, greasy granny. <laughs> <laughs> and what is a greasy, should, greasy I, granny? I should, yeah, I should probably I hate label that visualization. Them. Yeah, a greasy granny. A greasy granny. I should granny. probably. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, in all honesty, I just kind of back it up until it's pretty full, and then yeah. I like have a little label maker, and I just put what what years are on that. That's what I have. And so I should probably maker. do it a little bit better. Um, I mean, whatever works. But anyway, Dropbox. Yeah, I don't have a vault. Yeah, <laughs> I have your mama, yo daddy, yo greasy greasy granny. <laughs> um, so, but. But yeah. I can get over the whole MP3 thing with Dropbox. I can get over that. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to present larger files faster and yeah, but at the uh, shorter load quality. times and everything. I get it. I even get the MP3 thing. But when you're doing it to a degree that you're getting like clicks and pops right. and stuff that's actually not in the actual audio, and then you have to tell people... No, that's actually not there. Right. That's just Dropbox's replay. You need to download. That's a, that's a bit annoying because they lose trust yep. in you as a professional. Absolutely. Um, well, then they go. What, sorry, go. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say. Then they, as soon as someone hears an artifacty version, then they're paranoid about when they download it. Surprise, surprise! Mm-hmm. They hear artifacts that don't exist. It's phantom yep. artifacts. It. It's a. A mental thing. People, once you hear something, it's really hard to not hear it, and your brain will project the phantom, fake sound into whatever version you're listening to. It's it's wild. It's like a placebo effect, pretty much. So, what were you saying? Here is the part of Dropbox that, to me, is almost non-redeemable, <laughs> unless like they completely get rid of this. And I understand why they have it. Um. But it just for the sake of what it is should not exist because of the file type. <clears throat> and it's very simple to explain. The mere fact that you're able to navigate inside of a zip folder is retarded. <laughs> it's like you should not be able to navigate in that. You should just be forced to download that zip folder. Yeah. But Dropbox allows you to essentially open the zip folder navigate it, do whatever the heck you want, play around in DDP, do whatever you want. You just can't do anything once you're in there. Yeah. You can poke around, you can get lost, which is where like clients like happen to land. And then they don't understand that no what I actually navigated, what I was probably supposed to never go into is what should have been downloaded. Right. And so what's the point of uploading a zip file to a place that just lets you navigate in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why I bought the pro version of WeTransfer, and yeah. uh, that'll be the back half of this year. Yeah, so I mean, I love that, WeTransfer. That's what will... Like, I have, like, a bunch of backups on Dropbox, and I, I do trust Dropbox, um, and I do have physical transfers, and Dropbox is all organized alphabetically, and it's worked really well. 
at least for me so far. But that right there, as far as like file management goes, is that's a big, big no no. Yeah. Um, so, and, and yeah. I also was on a phone call with a guy at Dropbox. They're like, oh, we want to do a survey and stuff like that. And it was a tech guy. And he said, he said, well, are there any uh, things you want us to fix? This is before they did the zip thing. I said, yeah. I said, the whole like converting any file type into an MP3 or any audio file type into an MP3 and then it plays back with a bunch of artifacts in it. I said, it's really annoying when you're in the audio business. He's like, oh, I didn't know we did that. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell are we on the phone for? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was, I was pretty darn frustrated. So if you know anyone who works for Dropbox, let them listen to the first 18 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> so anywho... You want to uh, you want to chat a little bit more about gear that's not uh, Macs and Dropbox? And- yeah, you know that was actually a really good uh, start of the episode because I feel like computers. <laughs> we just complained. Yeah, just complaining. we never talk about it. <laughs> yeah, computers and hard drive and backup and sending files to me isn't an episode, but it's important to address. And I feel like on a gear episode. This was a great way to kind of start it. So I'm happy with that little tangent. So you like the Mac Mini? I do love it. The performance of it's been great. I upgraded from an iMac that was a 2012 uh, beast of an iMac. Loved it. Mm. Um, But just over the last couple years, with all the updates and software and things, things are the ability to (coughs) oversample, which we'll talk about. Um, oh, interesting question. What yes. OS are you running? Uh, I am on uh, Catalina, the newest. I am fully 100% wow. updated on everything, and it runs like a champion. I don't really? know if I got lucky. It was one of my biggest hesitations, but in upgrading was the fear of things not working, but <laughs> my Focusrite <laughs> works. everybody, yeah. My Lynx Hilo works. All the plugins work. Hmm. Everything works like a charm. My biggest hassle in migration was just deactivating on my iLock cloud from my old iMac mm-hmm. and putting it into the new one and a few of my uh, plugins. I just had to go find the license code again for a few that aren't on like cloud stuff. So, no biggie. I transferred everything. Mac has migration mode, which was new for me because I hadn't updated since 2012. Maybe it was already there, but you literally <laughs> just say, like, migrate your current Mac to your new one via Wi-Fi, and it cloned my whole computer in, like, three hours. It's and like a wireless SIM card. Yeah, and then the new Mac Mini was identical to where I left off. So all I had to do was... um transfer the iLock cloud stuff, and then I was good to go. It literally transfers everything. Your settings, wow. your iCloud, your passwords, your logins. Like I clicked on the internet. I clicked on the internet and all, all my settings and bookmarks. <laughs> I rang and, up the internets. And yeah. it, it was all the same. So that was super impressive and convenient. All the plug-in <laughs> settings, everything transferred. Um, you know, so so kudos to that, you know, to Mac. But yeah, I love it. Upgraded, I guess. I have a 2015 iMac, yeah. and I'm debating about an upgrade. I kind of want the really dark one. Oh. That's obnoxious. Yeah, those are cool. Those are like the pro cinematic ones, aren't they? Yeah. But I hear that it'll probably be after or right around when this episode launches that 
Apple is getting away from IBM or mm. whoever makes their chips. I don't know if yes, it's IBM they're going to make or their Intel own chips. And they're going to do Apple Silicon or Cone or whatever. Yep, and yep, it's yep. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the uh, scuttle is about uh, like, like third party stuff, hmm. like Photoshop and whatnot. Like, how's mm. that going to work? They're yeah. going to have to rewrite the code right. for this new processor. And, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe, I imagine that maybe Apple will come out with something like migration, where it's <laughs> maybe it's already there. Maybe it's been there for years. Yeah, they don't have to rewrite the code. They just we say, just never knew it. Transfer it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I'm thinking about that. Wasn't it Dylan who said that he's like he wants to get like I'm going to call it the Mac Daddy, the one that has like the $700 wheels and the yeah, that's the cheese grater. The cheese grater. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Dylan said. Who said he wanted to get? Yeah, that? he's gonna buy one of those. But I think he does. I saw he just got a MacBook Pro, and he's like running his whole rig off his laptop, which is kind of cool. That's awesome. So, Dylan's a genius. He's got a bunch of hardware. He's got to update us on. So, Brilliant. Anywho, onto our hardware. Yes. Or plugins. Let's start with. Okay, so as Sam said, we have we realized today that we have not done a gear episode since February of 2019, and we promised to never do uh, it this far out <laughs> again, <laughs> unless nothing changes and we're just not really interesting. But I mean, who listens to the older episodes? We're at episode 70 something. It's like is somebody really going back to the older gear episodes? Probably not. So we'll probably just re-talk. I suppose, in newer gear episodes. It's a free episode for us, too. It's kind of like hiring a babysitter, I guess. Anywho. Gear. Sam. Matt. What's changed for you on the plug-in side of things oh. from a year and a half Plugins. Ago? Well, my friends, as you know, I like my outboard gear. I have no issues with plugins. I love plugins. I use them as well. Uh, what has changed? I'm obsessed with clippers. I've always liked clipping. I clip outboard as needed. The Better Maker outboard mastering limiter, limiter has a clipper section for clipping as well. Um, now, not everything needs clipping, but I do enjoy it for its coloring and energy or loudness it can provide, especially for the genres of pop and rap. Um, mainly what I work in, it's that can be a really fun tool. So over the last year and a half, I've picked up uh, plug-in-wise the K-Clip. Uh, I've been using Event Horizon uh, Clipper which is from Stillway Audio, I think, or Stillways. I've had that one for like five years. It's like free donation only, I think, or maybe it's mm. paid now. Um, I like Standard Clip, which is probably one of my new favorites. Um, it has a bunch of different clipping saturations and characteristics and then oversampling from 2 to 32. And... It's just really handy. It's really um, a lot of clippers can kind of add energy and excitement, but the low end kind of gets um, I don't want to say thinned out, but just kind of shifts a bit in punch usually to me. Um, but the standard clip does a really good job at preserving the low end, so I like that. 
And then I actually have the uh, Tokyo Dawn limiter, which Matt Huber, a mixer I work with, really likes. Uh, the Gentleman's Edition is what it's called. <laughs> yes, the GE, Gentleman's Edition. Uh, and that has basically like a multi-band um, clipper in it, and you can control tack release and a bunch of parameters within that. So that one's sometimes fun, too. So I've kind of really gotten into clippers uh, the last year and a half. It's definitely something that shapes my sound um, if I choose to use one of those. Uh, I like the Oxford Inflator has clipping in it as well, which is a classic uh, plug-in that a lot of people use. It's been around forever. And that would probably be the one of the biggest changes of adding clippers. And I just kind of A, B, audition them. I know what they all sound like at this stage, so they're kind of more used for EQ than overall loudness, but they do help with that kind of perceived loudness by the saturation they can they can add. So check those out. Um, and then I've really I've been you know turned on to the Waves. This is so old. Waves Renaissance REQ uh, six or four or two, whichever bands you would like. But I kind of jumped on to that plugin because I had read in an old Manly uh, forum archive from Manly that the original guy who made the Massive Passive designed it went to Waves after he designed the Massive Passive and basically said, I would like to make a plugin that's inspired by the Massive Passive and the Poltex we make at Manly. And they said, sure. And so that became the Renaissance EQ, which tons of people use it and have used it for years and years and years. So one day, I turned on the Renaissance EQ and A-beat it to my massive passive with some of the shelves. And I have to say, it sounds extremely similar, especially in the top and the low-end shelving. So it's not the same, and I don't want it to be the same. They do two totally different things, but do not sleep on the REQ, Renaissance EQ from Waves. And if all of you out there already listen to it or use it, and I slept on it, y'all should have told me. Should have told me a long time ago. I blame you, audience, for not have, keeping uh, me in the loop of cool plugins or old have plugins. Have you A beat it against uh, the massive passive plugin? I haven't A beat it, uh, no, because I don't have UA on the system. So mm. I haven't been able to do that. But that would be a good one. Someone should do that. I'm sure they sound different. And the Renaissance EQ is not supposed to be the massive passive. But it's mm-hmm. supposed to be inspired in the shelving and curves, um, just like a passive tube yeah. shelving. Yeah, or not shelving EQ, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean I mainly I like it for shelving um, and the curves it creates from shelving. Uh, so I use that on and off, and those are kind of the main things. I mean, I will. I'll confess. I I have a confession. Watch out. Hopefully my clients still work with me after this. I've the talked to Matt about this. But sometimes <laughs> I'll add a little reverb to a master here and there. Yes, a master. A reverb on the master chain. Sometimes things sound super dry, super boring, and just a parallel blend of a reverb here and there 
makes the master sound incredible. And for those in the audience who are my clients who are like, what? Was it on mine? Might have been, but you liked it. Not only did you like it, you loved it. So sometimes I use reverb on the master bus. That's a new thing for the last two years. Not very often, but I have to confess that it has been a a glue almost. I use it as a glue, a cohesiveness. And it's not turned up very loud. It's like a parallel blend, wet dry kind of thing going on. But sometimes if a mix sounds really sterile or even like kind of out of place and we don't have the ability to kind of adjust things or massage things, a little verb can make it feel more cohesive and glued like a compression like a compressor might do. So the one time watch out. The, the one time I used reverb on a master. The client's like, Do you use reverb on this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh Yeah. Did they really? Uh the crazy thing was is it was just like, at least to me and to my taste, which is completely subjective. Right. Um uh it was it was a touch dry. Yeah. And I don't know if this person listens to this podcast. If you do, uh thank you for listening. Um <clears throat> but uh I used the I really, really have wanted to try the Pro R from FabFilter, just mm-hmm. because you can kind of build your own room, which is really bizarre and cool and it's like really intuitive and how it works. And so I kind of like I essentially kind of built the verb that they had and I just added a touch more and it's literally blended into 4%. And it was at 4% much. and I guess it was just like a really quiet dry moment and they wanted it to stay that way and that's right. how I that's how my secret got out. Ugh. And so the one time I used it, the one time I really thought I needed it, which it came out to be like the coolest way to get like a glue sound without right. having to whip out a compressor. And yep. it's like having to worry about this mess and what I'm going to do with that. It's like this literally made the vocal sit better. It gave more dynamic space to mm-hmm. the instrumentation. And it's just like, yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll turn it off. I mean, I, I don't use it a ton, 2%. but I just want to be honest with people. There is sometimes I'll put verb on a master and blend it in. I mainly do it in a chorus section because I, I don't. So you'll automate it? Yeah, I automate and blend. But I'm kind of an automate blendy guy. You know, that's you my are. thing. So, you know, I just want to keep it real with the audience. I don't want to act like I don't do that sometimes. I do it. And that would be something new the last couple of years. So if you're listening and you're one of my clients, you may be someone who had a little reverb added and you loved mm. it. So that's probably what's new on the plugin world for me. It's um, <clears throat> Plugins are great. I have no issues with them. My only tangent would be I would love to change the narrative that plugins are the same as gear and the emulations are identical. They are not. I've A-B'd stuff. They're not. I have the real thing and I have plugins. They're not the same. I would like the narrative change to just, they're all tools. They're all great. They all have great characteristics. But to say that gear is the same as plugins is just a tired narrative. You can make great rec- great records either way. 
but it is not the same. And whether or not the client can tell the difference, it's kind of irrelevant unless you're mixing or mastering the song in the box and out of the box exactly the same, and then you send it to them for them to decide. And that's pretty much impossible to do because, guess what? Gear is not the same as plugins, so it's not going to sound the same. So there will be a difference. And that's where they could go, well, I prefer this over that. But that's just personal preference more than probably gear plugins. So... Don't wanna... I don't know. I kind of, I kind of view that whole argument, and it's like I don't even get into it anymore. It's like, oh, I get you know, into who it. You, who, it's like, <laughs> who are you kidding? It's like, well, one, let's go back to like our gear episode. It's like if you were given a ten seventy three, would you be like, no, I want the plug in or the, right. the, 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 what is it called? There's a Chef the, seventy three, the, the clone. That, that's yeah. the that's the thing I'm looking for. It's like, like which which one would you take? And then it's kind of like, I don't know. Do you remember the Impossible Burger last year? Yeah. The whole, like, it's not a hamburger, but it's a hamburger. But then right. they found out it was, f- like, each hamburger had, like, 45 grams of estrogen in it. <laughs> it was, like, it was, like going crazy or it's, like, it's, like, saying this is a vegetable-based meat substitute. It's, like, ugh. It's like it's not the real thing, but you're trying to make it the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Right. So yeah. That's kind of how I view it. I view a plug-in trying to emulate <clears throat> a piece of gear to be the vegetable-based meat substitute of <laughs> the actual piece of meat. Yeah, I would I would just uh, <laughs> say that if you are into that, though, like nothing against it, just right. I can tell my wife. It's like you know, like like it's cauliflower rice. It's like no, it's not. It's cauliflower. That just it's just tiny cauliflower. It's not cauliflower <laughs> rice. It's not rice. It's cauliflower. It's almond beverage, not almond cauliflower milk. mashed potatoes. No, it's not. It's just mashed cauliflower. <laughs> it's like no, we can't. We can't do this. Oh. this. This is not how the Lord intended it to go. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be weird. So anyway, um, those are my plugins. What about you, Matt? Yeah. Anything changed um, in your ba, 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 plugin ba. world? A little bit. I really like diving into the whole Magic Death Eye thing. I even played into the whole, oh, it's the stereo version of the mono one, even though the mono one did two channels. I'm a little angsty today, as you can tell. <laughs> um, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'll support it, because I think Ian does a cool thing with the Magic Death Eye stuff. Um <clears throat> I did the. I I was a long holdout on the uh, SPL iron. Mm. I like it a lot. It works on some things for me, and some things not on others. Um, and then I was talking with my uh, my friend up in Canada, uh, Connor Salmore. He's uh, he's a good dude, and he talked me into buying that Amec that uh, Plugin Alliance came out with. That's the what is it? It's like the the GML, the eighty five hundred uh, emulation, mm-hmm. and yep. I really like it. I like it a lot on clean material. If you need to like make like a big sweep or a small sweep, that thing is delicious. I bought a bunch of the Shadow Hill stuff. I was like, yeah, let's see what it's about. I don't really like it. <laughs> I think I demo it, but I didn't. Um, I went from Soothe one to Soothe two. And I'll tell you what, they should really leave Soothe 1 still to be for sale. Um, and Sam and I were talking about this. Anytime you want to grab for Soothe, generally, at least with me, I'm thinking of Soothe 1. Mm-hmm. 
And my heart's with Soothe One. It's just like too dang CPU heavy. It's like if you're running something at 96, 24, or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just... And like you can't use any other plugins with it. It just it just bogs everything down. You can't really oversample it too much. At least with my two five-year-old computer. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to figure that out. But it's like, I don't know. So Soothe Two, it's like, eh, it's okay. I do like the full band of everything. But I wish it had a little bit of the mojo. That'd be cool. It's like you're adding every other feature. Dial in Soothe One Mojo. That'd be cool. Um what else did I do? On the plugin spectrum. I think I've said in previous episodes, I've also been playing with the Acoustica, which I'm not the biggest Acoustica fan, but I've been playing with the Scarlet. It's the Sontech emulation, mm. which as far as an EQ goes, I've never heard of Sontech. Um, but holy crap, is that a musical EQ? And like you, you don't even need to do anything but turn on the band. <laughs> and you turn on the band and you're like, oh, something just happened. Because it's not the same as when the band's off. Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. I don't, I don't really know. Like you turn on the high shelf and you're like, something just got brighter, and it's not like me thinking it just got brighter. Um, <clears throat> and I know nobody who works for Acoustica listens to this podcast, but if you do, please get rid of the stupid Luffs meter that you put in the middle of it because it just drives <laughs> down the, it drives up the CPU unnecessarily, and it's like. Who needs to see a Luffs meter when they probably already have a Luffs meter up? Right. So it's so stupid. And it's like with Luffs, it's like you're you're measuring so many things at once. It's like four meters. It's like, come on, guys. You're just you're 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 just kind of like dragging it down. So unnecessary. But the EQ is worth the CPU hog. So I think yeah, Shadow Hills don't like it. Uh SPL iron. It's cool on some stuff. If you need stuff to get like super airy, that's kind of nice. Um, you know what Plugin Alliance does that I really like is that like THD or whatever it is, where you can add like mm, harmonic. You can like distortion. add in, yeah, but it like adds in like perceived headroom, which uh-huh, is crazy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, and that and the Amec. So and soothe and the. Uh, I'm saying ba 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 a lot. Ba ba ba. Hope you have a good pop thing for me. Oh, I do. What is it? Oh yeah, the Magic Death Eye, the stereo thing. Just because I wanted to support the guy. He hasn't come out with any any of those really this year. You normally get an email at like five thirty on a Sunday, and he's like, "Hey, I have one of these for sale, eighty eight hundred dollars," <laughs> and then you get an email thirteen minutes later, "Hey guys, it just sold," <laughs> and it's like, "Wow, that's the quickest eighty eight hundred dollars he's ever made." So it's fascinating to watch those things sell. Yeah. And then he's got the EQ that he put in it. That's kind of the nice thing about the stereo is you have like a little, you have a low and a high shelf yep. on there as well. Oh, he does he does cool stuff. He's I saw on his Instagram, he, he was kind of making a tube with a circuit in it. Hmm. And the circuit uh, operates and essentially from what he says, sounds like a 6386 tube. Interesting. Which is crazy. Uh, so anyway, you want to get into hardware? Hardware, hard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch Letter Kenny? No, what's that? 
Oh, that's what I thought you were referencing. It's a uh, it's a show on Hulu about uh, small town Canada. Huh? No, and I do have. Hulu, I highly though. recommend it. It is absolutely ridiculous, but it's pretty darn funny. Right but yeah, that's a. Uh, one of the one, <laughs> that's one of the lines I thought you were quoting that show. They say that hardware hard yeah. No, they say like hard no. Oh, <laughs> I was like holy crap. Yeah, no, I don't. The say universe that. is listening. So hardware, what's new with you in your rack <laughs> for, for like over the past year and a half? Well, as far as mastering goes, I picked up a pair of solid state uh, stereo Poltex that were restored from the 60s. They have the original 60s uh, triad transformer, the original 60s API op amps, uh, a bunch of other original 60s components. There was some wiring upgrade to reduce noise and then (laughs) I have uh, the old vintage Lang EQ knobs on it instead of the Pultec ones, which are a little more uh, accurate to me. And then uh, the guy was nice enough and actually put new faceplates on, which was nice. Oh, the little uh, knobs that are kind of like teardrops? Yep, yep. He took yeah, those, those from, cool. a, from a Lang and put those on there instead, and they're sweet. So um, they're absolutely amazing. Um you can probably see what you're doing a lot easier, too. That's exactly why I wanted them, yeah. Because it's like, I couldn't imagine in this rack, it's like, how many times are you like having to stand up to look at something? Right. Especially, like, the big floppy knob. Yep. That's kind of a weird thing to say. Big floppy knob. It's like, you, yeah, you just... Are, are they detented or swept, pots? They're swept. So, but it's like, regardless, it's like, you, if you want to help yourself out as far as recall goes... Yeah, I mean, they... they that's great. They point directly at... The thing, so there it calls easier, and I don't mind that they're swept. It's I'm pretty good at hearing if it's causing any. It'd be like probably phase imbalance. Um, mm-hmm. Don't really run into that, uh, at least in my opinion. No one complains. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So I picked up those. It's kind of a bucket list thing. I'm obsessed with Poltex. Um, I didn't get the tube ones just because. I have the massive passive that seems to take up so many of my tube needs. Um, <laughs> I've used the tube Poltex, I've used the tube tech Poltex, and they're absolutely wonderful. But I wanted something solid statey, and I like Poltex, so I so I picked that up. Um, I got a pair of eleven seventy sixes, Yuri eleven seventy sixes, which I don't use a ton for mastering. But they're freaking sweet. Um, and that's really kind of like it for mastering. I did, I picked up the SSL um, VHD preamps, which sometimes people hate, but I have found with the input output and then the VHD, which controls the harmonic distortion knob, you can go from second to third and blend. Basically, that's the that's their gray pre. Yeah, um, it's like a light gray. I think it sounds just like an SSL console if you like sum through it. Basically, hmm. um, I don't know why people. I mean, the reviews overall are actually really strong on them, but I think because they're just quote unquote more affordable. They're not cheap, but 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've I've read some people that think they absolutely sound like trash, but I've found them to be really nice and bright and open, and they can add a ton of punch and density. So those are kind of fun to sometimes use. And then um, Snag Day Psycho Acoustic Projector from EXR. I had to look at it. Uh, it's like a $200 thing, but it's similar to an Aphex Exciter. I kind of like exciters. They're basically just drive gain distortion boxes. And for all the indie type needs, it can be really fun to to process stuff through. It has like four different modes, blending. Um, Obviously, you can drive things with the input on it. Um, Or I guess they just call it level. I call it input. And uh, it can be really cool. It can be the right fit. So I keep picking, I picked up some other gear, but I just kind of always snag things based on, I mean, we talked about how to, how to buy gear earlier this year, but really my approach is always trying to problem solve or inspire. And so I kind of just snag pieces based on things I run into where I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to have that color or a different option of even the color because I have an Aphex Exciter stereo hardware unit too. Um but having options is always fun. I think I can better dial in the sound in my head or client's vision by having options. And um, for everybody listening too, it took me 10 years to build up a gear collection. So it did not happen overnight. I tell people all the time, I basically made my start of my career pretty much in the box. You know, got my business going in the box. I didn't really own any gear. And um, as it's grown, I've, I've just personally have fallen in love with gear overall um, and what it can do sonically. But it's a personal choice. There's plenty of guys who work all in the box, but this isn't an episode for that debate. Um, Still with Lynx Helo Converter. Love it. Super clean. I know, Matt, you don't love it, but uh, I've already told you (laughs) you're trying to use it in a way it's not made to, so... Um, Yeah. So, you know. But you should be able to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much all for hardware updates. Still obsessed with the massive passive, still obsessed with the better maker limiter. Uh, love the overstayer. Still love my two te- tube tech LCA. Are you using the overstayer still a bunch? Yeah, it's great. It's, I mean, for rock and anything that is like live instrumentation, it can be a absolute beast of density and just enhancing energy low end especially because it has the um it has a shelf and a resonant peak so it's basically like starts it peaks at 60 hertz and then the shelf is at 100 hertz so you can add a bunch of bottom end um and really fill if that 60 hertz filter cleans up the sub area so you can add this really warm big bottom end density in that the EQ stage drives into the harmonics, which is fun. So then the harmonics can kind of saturate that out and it can add density and bottom end like nothing else I own. It feels very analogy, very tape console. There's really there's nothing like it to me. Um, I'm super impressed by it. And it has the mix knob. Everything should have a mix knob, in my opinion. <laughs> I love having a mix knob. Um, you know that you know that tape machine I bought. Yes, the eighth channel. I I, I believe it's. 
I believe it's that. Um, I there's a mix knob on the mastering backbone, and so I can blend. <clears throat> I can well, flummy, I guess. I can blend in <laughs> the signal from the tape machine. Oh, I like that. Which idea. is kind of funky to do. I've been like kind of playing with that, and then like going between like. Just like having like like where I where I like it and right. whatnot. So yeah, everything should have a blend knob. You're right. Well, that tape machine <laughs> is new for you, right? The tape machine is new. Yeah. I've only used it a little bit. I actually bought it in February. I, I'm totally uh, stealing your segment. No, I'm Did you done. Have anything I, else? No, okay. That's all my hardware. So you you should talk about yours. Yeah. So I bought that back in February of 2020. And uh, it kind of sat just because I needed to do a few things to it. I needed to clean some stuff up. And um, and then it's like obviously like the whole like crazy COVID stuff. And uh, I just kind of like tightened up my cash flow. And I didn't feel like spending money on like, okay, I want to get a snake for it. I want to make a transfer box because I wanted to be like, okay, if I get sent something on a quarter inch tape, which I don't get all, like I don't because I didn't have one before, but if and now I have the option, so I want to make a transfer box so I can switch it from being a uh, like an input on the backbone, like one through eight, or I can change it to being an input. Input or insert, I think. Yeah. So like input, like one through three, I can have like the Hilo tape machine, maybe another converter, whatever, or the one through eight inserts. Yeah. Um... So yeah, I wanted to do a transfer box and get a snake and do everything right, and I was like, eh, I don't feel like spending the cash right now. So it's uh, it kind of sat until um, late June, and I started putting all that stuff together. So that's all fun, but lots changed. Yeah, you lots like changed pretty much all out of the box. <laughs> yeah, I just did a. I do a lot of records, not even really doing a lot with software. Um, besides really just like a final limiter and if I need to do anything fancy uh, post-print. Um, so I'm, I'm actually kind of, Sam and I were doing a little bit of uh, pre-production and I was like, what, back, what was I doing back in February of 2019, this last gear episode? And it's actually the picture on my website. So um, a lot's changed since that picture. I had the backs, I had the IGS tube core, 3U, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, my Neve, the MVP, the Hilo, and the MPL, and the Manly. I think the Manly was relatively new. I think I bought that in November or October. I remember I was out cutting the grass and I came in to like take a break because it was hot. And uh, I went on reverb and I was like, holy shit, one of these for $3,600? <laughs> yes, I'll buy this. So, because you never see them below. Uh, four, so I think I put in an offer and it was accepted pretty quick. And I was like, "Holy crap! I just lost a lot of money, but I just gained a lot more." So that was that's how that one happened. Anywho, uh, the tube core in that picture was relatively new. I had purchased that back in August, the I think twenty eighteen, and I switched the tubes out and I could never get it balanced and that whole thing kind of pissed me off and uh, I actually sent it off to Vintage King being like yo what is going on with this like 
what is like I don't know their value for zero because you need to know what you're calibrating to. You can calibrate everything to match everything, but like to a degree, you have to understand what their value for zero is. And IGS wouldn't tell you their manual for the unit was different than their manual online, which was different than the videos that they'd have. And I sent it to VK. I was like, yo, this should be like a quick like one-hour bench thing, like not even. This should be 15 minutes. <clears throat> Four weeks later, I'm like, where is this? And Vintage King is like, IGS is not getting back to us about their value for zero. <laughs> it's like, well, that's funny. The, the sad thing about all of that is IGS was a vendor for Vintage King. Vintage King sold IGS equipment. Hmm. Um, so that essentially, that engagement sealed the fate of the tube core for me. Uh, I sold the tube core in May? Yeah, I was flying back from Detroit and I got an offer on Reverb for what I wanted it for. Um, May of 2019. And uh, yeah, and she was gone. Uh the sad thing is that I really liked it by the time I sold it, but I knew I would never get an offer that good. <laughs> <laughs> I would never get that offer again. So it's like sometimes you just have to take it. And so I had the 6386 tube upgrade in it, and I really liked it. It was really nice. Like if you had like, like there, there, there are like a few tunes like where you could just like uh, just dial it in a little bit, and you could get the air, like the growl out of like somebody's voice. And it was... It's like if you were ever like shooting out somebody's master, like faux master or something like that, and you level match them, you're like, holy crap, I can hear so much air in this person's voice then in like a positive way. And it was all because of that. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend that uh, compressor, but that company, uh, if I ever had an issue with that, I don't want to deal with that, with that dude who eats peppers on YouTube. So, um, <laughs> Sorry, dude in Poland who likes hot food. Um, so yeah, that was that was an unfortunate experience, but I had to get rid of that. And after that, I actually purchased uh, what is it? That knife, very mu nif or knife, mm -hmm. and that was that was a really fun EQ. Uh, not EQ. I'm sorry. That was a really fun compressor. I just wanted it to do more in the mojo department. Yeah. And there are times as like records that like I've done within the past two or three weeks where I've been like, man, I really wish I had that. But it didn't really serve the need as much as what I have now. And uh, that was a very quick learning experience. And I believe, I can't remember when I sold that. Um, I have this thing of when I go to, when, when I purchase something on Reverb or eBay or whatever, Immediately after I purchase it, something will come on onto Reverb or eBay and be substantially cheaper than what I just paid. And so, or when I'm selling something, one or two other people, and no one is selling Knife Fairy Muse, Nif or Knife Fairy Muse. No one sells them right now. But when I was selling it, me and apparently two other people thought it'd be a great idea to have a little who can get the lower price without getting screwed for their compressor game. And so that's how that went. Um, so mine sold to some guy in Japan, and I hope he really likes it because I really uh, I really liked that compressor, but I couldn't 
uh, justify it for what I needed at the time. As Sam said, I am also uh, purchasing gear for the whole sake of solving problems. Um, so that was that was I think November of 2019. I sold that, and oh. then at the end of December, I'm keeping an eye on the time, Sam. How uh, oh, how much good. longer do you have? We're good. Okay, keep going. Um, at the end of the year, I remember I was talking with Josh Frost of Vintage King. With if you even if you need anything, that dude is that dude is awesome. He's nice. He's a pleasure to talk to, and he'll move heaven and earth just to just to help you out. Uh, and it's it's he's cool because he wants to see that like gear gets to the correct home, as opposed to like, hey, I'm a salesman and I want to like push this gear mm. uh, because my commission check, whatever. It's like Josh wants to make sure the gear gets to a good home, and it's very commendable. And he's just an awesome dude to chat with. Um, so I was uh, I was toying around a little bit with Vintage King, and they had a used man not not manly uh, Lavery Gold, the MK, the Mark III, and uh, I was toying around with that a little bit, and it was like a little bit funky. And so we sent it off to Lavery, got it back. And I was like, I don't know, it just like just doesn't really feel right. And in the meantime, I had played with a dangerous AD plus, which was which was cool. And I was like, well, since you have five thousand of my dollars for the gold, and uh, now you have the compressor, no, not the compressor. Now you have the converter. That's five thousand dollars. You have ten thousand dollars from me, essentially. Can I demo this like two thousand dollar converter? And so. They let me demo that, and I'll tell you what: if anyone's on the fence about that thing, uh, like forget the whole like, oh, this little button will get rid of the red lights. It's like if you gain stage correctly, you don't have to worry about red lights. But that little like transformer thing on the end, holy crap! That's literally a hi-fi knob, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, it's a Hammond transformer, which is a Canadian company, and essentially you just dial in this blend knob, which. Uh, I'm assuming is like an input and an output kind of like doing their opposing things at the same time that doesn't really affect your signal besides saturation. But it just takes whatever you're putting in it and it just turns it into this hi-fi glory. Like, it is cool. So if you're on the fence about that, that's pretty cool. And it has uh, two inputs. So I was debating on... That because it's like, oh, cool, I can run my podcasting rig into that, and I switch from my rig input to my podcasting input. So that was neat. Got back to the lavery. It was still kind of weird, and I was like, eh, I don't really know. So um, I did not stay with that. And so I took that uh, cash from the lavery, and I bought a Maslick MEA2. I also skipped two pieces of gear that I bought in the, in the way. Um, at the end of the year, when I bought the... I'm kind of like looking over my mic now if I sound weird. At the end of the year, when I got the Lavery, I also got a very a Manly Very Mew, which I like a lot. And I also... I saw this foot control systems, the P3S ME, mm-hmm. and it's like a really low serial number. It's like 24. And it has the swept attack and release knobs, but everything else is stepped. And it is glorious. If you ever need to do any automation on something, holy cow. It's like, well, because you don't have to worry about any clicks. If you ever need to automate something, you don't have to worry about a click. And so 
if nothing else, I mean, the gain knob on it just like it just sounds euphoric. Like everything opens up and it's crazy. I don't know about the P4S ME that he's doing now, but the P3S is quite lovely. Highly recommend it. And everything's in like uh, as far as gain reduction, it's metered in quarter dB, which that's a mastering engineer's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did the the Verimu and that, and uh, I don't really even compress with them a lot. <laughs> All honesty, they're just fantastic for gain staging. Um, later in the year, call it March or April, I got the Maslick MEA two, and. It's pretty much the Maslick solves the problem of there's certain things for me that the massive passive just couldn't do. And I believe, Sam, that's probably what the Poltex achieved for you. Yep. Because yours are solid state Poltex, which I imagine mm-hmm. they're probably super clean. They're a little bit zippy. Yep. Um, and that's uh, along the lines of what the MEA2 does for me. It's literally. It looks kind of daunting, but it's just so intuitive when it's like, I just need more of this. And then you just, poop, and it's there. Um, what's crazy is, like, how different of a response you're going to get. And I was playing with shelves today. I was like, the third band has, like, 9K, and the fourth band has 9.7. And I was, like, shooting out the two. I was like, what do I want? And I was like, wow, just nine just sounds so much better than nine point seven. And so it's just like it's like, okay, cool, we'll just we'll just roll this. And it's for a shelf. Um so it's just it's just really, really fun just for uh if you if you need to like cut something out, it like it cues super tight. But if you just want to do like a general boost or whatnot, it it it's got your back. Um I don't do too much in the low end. I'm normally pretty solid in the low end by the time I get to it. Um, the way that I've kind of like set everything up on as far as like my inputs and stuff on the backbone is uh, I'll typically stage well like input one is my backs, my very mu and my massive passive. And so I'll stage the backs to what I want to have hit the very mu. And so, uh, this one client of mine, he's just kind of like doing some uh, some random singles that he's releasing. He wanted like like legitimate pumping. Like he was like really into that like lo-fi pumping. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well, I can stage the Verimu with the backs to like like turn off the side chain and everything. And essentially you stage the low end into it so that it's going to trigger this thing in a very specific way. And it worked like a, it worked like a charm, and that's kind of how I do that. And then uh, anything I want to do with the Massive Passive. Um, the MEA2 is on channel 2, which can be MS, which it normally is an MS. And uh, it's just a really good-sounding EQ. Even if you're just passing signal through it, it's just a really good-sounding EQ. Um, Let's see, four and five. I don't do anything on three. Four is, I don't know why I don't do this. Four is the FCS, the foot control systems, and the Neve. I should probably, I could probably change that to four and five because then I could switch them back and forth. Um, six is a little bit of like high frequency stuff that, um, it's like if stuff gets like a little too crazy, it's like I have some like high frequency limiters there. 
And seven is I have like a, a custom insert like transfer console that I built with my friend Angel, um, who a lot of you have been asking me information about. Um, so if you want him to build you anything, he's still doing that. He's building me some new Elkos, which I'll get into in a second. Um, Sam, if I'm going too long, shoot me a text. Be like, You're Matt, great. Wrap it Keep up. going. Okay, I'm going to be like, I have your text pulled up here. So if oh, I'm going good. too long, just type on your end. Um, yeah, seven is like my little custom insert thing that I made with my buddy. And uh, it's got like $80 switches on it. But it's, uh, I mean, it's great. Just like playing with like new gear or transformers or if I want to make like a little matrix for like, I might want this piece on eight. I might want this piece on six. I don't know. So it's like I can like kind of do that through the back. I think there's like 16 XLR inputs on the back of it, but it's all wired completely passive. And if you run, mm. if you run a, a tone through it or anything, uh, besides the like the throwing of the switch, there's n- like at, like everything resumes to the exact level. Even if it's just silence running through the helo, um, once everything normalizes after the switch is thrown, it's completely like. There is no signal level change, yeah. um, so that's that's been really fun. And then the tape machine just kind of ends up on whatever wherever it ends up if I use it. Um, so I'm still uh, learning and playing a bunch with it. So I think I bought it for like twelve hundred bucks. And uh, as far as like getting into tape and whatnot, it's definitely a pretty. Uh, I mean, it's an MCI JH uh, one ten. And uh, it, they're the they're the ones that uh, who's the guy, the guy at uh, like Welcome to nineteen seventy nine nineteen sixty nine mm-hmm. in Nashville. Yeah, Chris Mara. It's the guy. It's the one that he fixes up, and he has his Mara machines, and that's what a lot of people yeah. know them for. I think as of today, they're like, oh, is that a Mara? It's like, well, no, it's that's theirs that they fix up, and they, they make holy crap. Like for an older machine, they do a beautiful job. Um, Doing that, and they sell them for actually remarkably inexpensive for what they are. I think the quarter inch is like five grand. So, um, yeah, but the the tape the tape one is absolutely fantastic. It's been fun. Like I'll put it on eight or whatever, and just try to like blend it in, just see just see if you could do it. But <laughs> it doesn't normally live there. Uh, the backbone has a cool thing on the back of it where you can uh, insert six. Actually, you can go via the Elko or DB25, whatever you have. Or there's another insert on the back to where you can just plug a test piece of gear into it. Yeah. Uh, into the back of insert six, which is nice. Um, one of the last things I'll say, um, I've done a lot in the past year and a half, I've done a lot of testing of cable. And uh, I'm not completely determined on IEC cable changing signal and uh, making stuff sound better or whatnot. Um, having everything kind of be the same and whatnot just for tidiness, I see. Um, that be a thing. But uh, as far as like XLR cables and interconnects and whatnot, that's a big difference. And if anyone wants that file, I'm, I might actually post that in the notes. Yeah, that'd be fine. I have that just hanging, I have that hanging out on Dropbox. I was playing with uh, Mogami. I was playing with uh, there's like a kind of old company called Tributaries. They're, I don't think they're around anymore. They have this A1 silver cable, um, which was insanely expensive just for like a spool of it. And uh, I had 
uh, I think the third one on there is just uh, is just Grimm, and I love Grimm. And if anyone is ordering any cable, it came down to that. And I have three songs, and you have the song completely unprocessed, and then you have the song like literally cables the exact same length, exact same type of connector, exact same type of solder, exact everything going from the helo into the backbone, out of the backbone, back into the helo and being recorded. That is it. And the backbone, so long as the gain is not engaged, is completely passive. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's about as little as you can touch something and listen to a... uh, let's call it two meters worth of cable, one meter going in and then one meter going out. And it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And you can take the, uh, take the one that you want to listen to, the cable test you want to listen to, and then take the control and then invert the phase on one of them. I don't care. And what you are left with is you have nulled out the signal that is not the cable at that point. So... And you're listening to essentially the delta of what the cable adds or takes away, which is incredibly revealing. Right. And uh, so I land. It's called a null test. I ended up on on Grim, and I highly recommend them. I think they're out of where is Grim out of? Uh, they're out of Europe. It takes a while to get to the states. I have a friend I just recommended to an Australian. He bought a whole. Darn! Uh, he bought a whole darn spool of it. Like <laughs> holy crap! It's like I bought like a not like ten meters of it. But uh, yeah, if you go there, Hans. Yeah, they're in the Netherlands. Hans is insane to deal with, and he is a his customer service is incredible. And tell him that I said hey, if you buy stuff from them. But uh, yeah, and also the cable doubles as AES cable, so it's like. Win-win. It, yeah, and they have these little tiny collars around them on the Neutrik connectors that are black or red. So it's like you, you, you're able to tell your left and your right, and you're like it just comes like that. It's just uh, it's a good company. I really like them, and so I'm redoing all my Elkos. I'm building new ones from scratch for the uh, the the Manly Backbone, and uh, my buddy Angel's putting them together for me, um, and they're all grim. And so if you want another reason why you should probably look into Grim Cable, I was looking in the back of the Manly Backbone little handbook manual thing, and Ivana Manly, or whoever wrote it, said, if you do upgrade from the Mogami connectors, or the Mogami cable, we highly recommend looking into the Grim, it's like the TPR-8. I think the 16 is what you need for the Elkos. But and just buying a snake through them, mm-hmm. and so they even recommend it back in the old backbone manual. So I highly recommend it. So anyway, Sam, you think we've nerded out enough? I like the nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> so well, good. So oh, I also bought a burl, a deck. There you go. <laughs> I sold it last week, but uh, it was cool. So yeah. Yeah, sorry about the little sniffling noise. I don't know that is the T's kind of waking up the the sinuses. But yeah, probably the next gear episode you'll probably hear how I'm trying to offload the helo still. Mm. And uh yeah. The thing is that the helo locks you in in too good of a way. 
you have the routing, the monitoring is good. I just do not care for the, I do not care for the uh, analog, the digital conversion. But if you get rid of the Hilo, Mm -hmm. you have to buy a D to A, you have to buy an A to D, and you have to buy a monitor controller, and you have to buy another way to get to and from your computer. Right. And the question is, is that worth just putting up with the Hilo? Well, you're not putting (laughs) up with the Hilo. I am putting up with the Hilo. Oh, and it's fantastic to A-B with. Man, it it would be a hard part. I probably, in all honesty, would never sell it. It's like, I want to upgrade the Pro Axis someday because it's like, they're just kind of like mixing speakers, but they're fantastic sounding. Right. Oh, I also bought a new amp for that. <laughs> it's like a Bryston 4BSST. Look at it's you like go. 300 watts. Going to these things, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, even if I got rid of the Pro X or replaced them, if I got rid of the Hilo, I still would not get rid of either of them. They're that good. Oh, and I, I did oh the God. the UA switch. There you go. I wanted the Ampex. That's the only reason I did it. I'll tell you. I was talking with uh, oh a mutual friend of ours on the phone, uh, Sam, uh, yesterday. The thing that makes a plug-in today is you can have the best sound in town, but if you are not scaling your plug-in, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like hurt my eyes to go look at your tiny plug-in. Yeah, I want old man moan at 200 percent. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I love it. I'm done. Old man mode. That's what I call it. Old man mode. So, anywho, we're out of here. Sam, I, I, I think, yeah, you're done. Okay, we have merch. <laughs> Go buy the merch. Tackandrelisha.com, beesabeats.com for the sweet beat that Sam has queued up in the background. And uh, yeah, here is your hour and 15 minute long gear episode that you have been jonesing Woo! for all of 2020. Your 2020 is complete. Drop the ball, shoot the confetti off, drink the champagne, play that song everyone plays, go kiss your whatever it is over there. And roll in 2021, because we have knocked this one out of the park. Boom. See y'all later. Cue up the music. Yeah, man. Are we going to have New Year's music playing in the background? Let's do it. All right. Trap New Year's. <laughs> See y'all. Oh, whatever you're having, have a good one. <laughs> Morning, afternoon, evening? Yeah, that whole thing? Yeah, cue up the music. All right, we're done. Bye. We're out of here. <laughs> Bye. Bye.